Heavenly Father, we thank you for your um, amazing love to us. We thank you for your word that reveals uh, who you are and all that you've done for us um, in and through your son, Jesus. Uh, and we just pray that as we, um, as we read, hear your word read uh, today and have it explained, we pray that uh, you would speak to our hearts deeply, challenge us, uh, encourage us in the gospel uh, and um, bear fruit in our lives for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's Romans chapter 13, verses 8 to 10. Love fulfills the law. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command, love your neighbour as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbour, therefore love is the fulfilment of the law. As Steve said, a really small pas uh, passage but really jam-packed. Uh, friends, to you, I wonder if, to you, uh, if I mention the words unpayable debt, that might kind of send a bit of a shiver down your spine, uh, especially if you've experienced something like this before. A story I heard during the week, uh, last year an American family experienced this really incredible and strange, well, and, and quite bizarre thing. Uh, there was a man from Oregon called Ken Slusher. He started noting, noticing all this weird stuff happening uh, with his phone bills. So he has a mobile phone and he started noticing all these bizarre discrepancies, some hundreds of dollars over, some hardly anything. Uh, they couldn't figure it out, so they returned the phones. They thought you know, something's not right here, they returned it. That wasn't the end of it though. Uh, they went back and forward with the phone company for months and months. Uh, and one day, Slusher called up the, there's, you know, how they have these automated services, you can check what your balance is on your phone. This guy uh, called up the automated services, and can you imagine this? He heard a recorded voice say, your, I can't do the recorded voice, but you can get the picture right. Your total amount due is $2,156,593.64. <laughs> a $2 million phone bill, right? Can you imagine it? Uh, a news reporter contacted the company and a, spoke, a spokesman said, and you can kind of imagine the way they would have said it, right? A spokesman said that, that they were looking into the situation. <laughs> a $2 million, I mean, uh, in the normal course of things, that would be a totally, for, uh, for most people in the world, a totally crushing, unpayable debt, right? And the normal course of things, an unpayable and a never-ending debt is a pretty terrifying thing, right? It's pretty terrifying. Uh, can you imagine your, uh, getting that, you know, ringing up and getting that automated sort of voice saying you had a $2 million phone bill hanging over your head? Uh, but of course, I mean, that's a, you know, a funny story, but when, uh, and I think they probably sorted it out, I didn't hear the resolution. <laughs> Uh, but uh, when, uh, uh, debt, when debt gets really entrenched, right, when debt really does get entrenched, when it's not just a mistake, like I assume this phone company made, uh, it's not just a funny story on the news, you know, the last, this is the, that's the type of story they run right at the end to the feel-good or the bizarre story, it's not just one of those, it can, when debt really gets entrenched, it can lead to real tragedy, right, the idea of an, an unpayable debt that's hanging over your head, 
Well, I don't know if you noticed it, but the, these few little verses that Lyle just read out to us uh, are striking in the next part of Romans 13 that Paul talks about a kind of unpayable debt. Did you pick that up as we read it? Uh, a continuing debt that we never get finished with. A continuing debt. It's a kind of strange thing for Paul to talk about, isn't it? I don't know if you feel this when you read this, uh, this continuing debt to love one another. It's a bit, it's a bit strange, uh, given everything that he's already talked about, about God's grace, God's incredible free grace. Uh, Paul has shown that we can't, pay, we can't pay God back for our rejection of him. All of us in ourselves live under a different unpayable debt, right? The weight of our sin. He's already written, the wages of our sin is death. And we can't get around it by ourselves. Uh, but, and this is all just recapping really what Paul's already gone into such depth about. We can't pay that, but the wonderful gospel is all about the free gift of God that brings eternal life, that brings complete forgiveness uh, entirely by God's grace, this gift that changes everything. We don't live under the crushing fear of death. We have been made alive in Christ. And life stops, you get this picture for Paul as you read through Romans, life stops becoming this kind of anxious attempt to please God, to try and please him. We are already right with him through Jesus. We are already adopted into his family. And all of that means that the kind of flavour you're left with when you read through uh, Romans and Paul as he describes the Christian life, the flavour you're left with is one of joy and freedom and not of debt <laughs> and obligation, right? Not of debt and obligation. You, you get that back in chapter 5. Uh, at the start of the chapter he says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Or jump over to chapter 8. He talks about the mind governed by the flesh. If you remember then we talked about this flesh-spirit distinction, but you can go look back over that. But he says the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. So you get this kind of flavour of the Christian life of Freedom and peace and joy and life. And all that by way of saying it can seem a bit strange when you get here to chapter 13. In verse 8, Paul says, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. A continuing debt to love one another. If you're here with us last week, we saw how Paul relates this gospel that he's been going on about the whole of his letter. He, he, he shows how that relates to how we relate to the governing authorities around us, to the world around us. Uh, because, and if you're here, you might remember, because, because we belong to this eternal kingdom of Christ, uh, we can relate in free submission to the kingdoms of this world. Uh, that'll mean, on the whole, this is recapping from last week, on the whole, uh, unless we're commanded to do something God forbids or unless we're forbidden to do something God commands, on the whole, Christians will be the best citizens uh, of this earth. 
Uh, he finished that little section and he said, up, up in uh, verse 7, uh, Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, revenue, respect, honour, pay honour. And he uses, if you, he says, if you, if you owe want anyone anything, just, just pay it. Uh, pay your taxes. Uh, and, but then he kind of uses this language of owing and debt and obligation, uh, of owing something to someone else. He kind of uses that to jump to this, to jump to a new topic here in verse eight. He, he kind of focuses back on how how Christians relate not not to the authorities around us, but to each other and to the world around us on a personal level, on an individual level. He says, give back what you owe. Don't let your debts remain outstanding. Pay them back. But he says, there's one debt Christians can never fully pay, this continuing debt to love one another. Now, what's going on here? Why does Paul use this idea of debts and obligation, right? We know that love is central to the Christian life. Uh, why does Paul use this language about debt, obligation? Uh, uh, why does he use that when the image of the Christian life we've had so far is, as we saw, one of such freedom and peace and life and joy? And how can you love out of debt anyway? Do you know, do you know what I mean? Have you ever thought about it? How could you, how could you love out of a sense of debt, indebtedness to someone? If I do something I think is loving for you, but not because I actually care for you, but because I kind of feel I ought to... Uh, can that really be described as love? I mean, is that what's going on here? Well, Paul uses this, this idea, right, of debt, obligation. Pay back, pay the governing authorities what you owe them, pay your taxes, uh, uh, pay your debts to other people. He uses that idea. Uh, he, he actually, he's used, sorry, he's used that idea before. <laughs> he's already used that idea in this letter to the Romans. It's an important little phrase, maybe you remember it from months and months and months ago, right back in the, at the start of his whole letter, right back in chapter 1. Uh, you can flick back if you like. I'll read it out, though. He, he introduces his gospel in chapter 1. Uh, he said he's longing to come and see the church in Rome, and he writes in verse 14 of chapter 1, he says, I am obligated, or maybe your version says indebted, I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That's why I'm also eager to preach the gospel to you in Rome. Um, it's kind of possible to think, it seems to me, it's possible to think of God as a kind of cosmic debt collector, right? Uh, Paul's obligated to preach the gospel because it's his duty uh, and if he doesn't, he'll get a visit from the boys, right? <laughs> if he doesn't do, do his duty. Uh, maybe it's the same thing going on here in chapter 13. Is it the same thing going on? Christians, you are obligated to love one another. It's a debt you'll always have, so do it. Or face the consequences, you know. <laughs> Is that what's going on here? Um, I can be very persuasive, you know. <laughs> Uh, we, we, I mean, we know that, and as we talked about before, we know that that kind of living, that way of living is kind of, in the end, off-putting and ineffective anyway, right? You can pick up, right? I, yeah, I know you can. You can pick up when someone's relating to you, not with a genuine concern, but because they feel they ought to. And you know there's something not right about that. <laughs> um, 
I want to suggest that there's something actually much richer and more wonderful going on here in Romans 13 for Paul. Uh, Back in chapter 1 and here in, in chapter 13, Paul says he's obligated to preach. He's obligated to preach the gospel. But it's not a kind of unwilling, gritting your teeth kind of obligation. It's not a kind of obligation. It's also not a kind of obligation that thinks it's paying God back something. Kind of like, God's done some stuff for me, so I better pay him back by doing some stuff for him. To think that way is to totally um, not uh, not recognise... (laughs) not recognise the depth of our sin, actually. Our sin is so deep and God's grace is so overwhelming that we can never pay him back. We can't pay God back. That kind of obligation that Paul's under isn't that he feels like he needs to pay God back or he feels like he needs to try and stay in God's good books by doing the right things. We're in his good books always. And this is Romans, right? Always and only ever by his grace, by his undeserved grace. So what's driving Paul in chapter 1? This is what's driving Paul when he says, I'm obligated, I'm debted to preach the gospel, is that he's been given the most incredible gift. He knows he's been given the most incredible gift in the gospel. The news of Jesus is beautiful. It's life-giving. And as he looks at the people around him who haven't heard this news, who are separated from God because of their sin and who are under his judgment, he feels compelled. He feels a kind of pressure, a kind of obligation to share this news. It's kind of like the obligation you'd feel. Just imagine that you had a terrible illness uh, and you somehow discovered the the cure for this illness, a total cure for your illness, And you not only discovered the cure, but you discovered how to create an infinite amount of this cure, right? Uh, You're walking down the street, you've got the cure in your back pocket, whatever it is, and you see someone across the road who obviously has the same illness you once had, uh, kind of limping along. Um, You would feel compelled, wouldn't you? You'd feel compelled to to share the, the, the cure that you have been given freely and that you, you have freely to give, you'd feel a kind, of, a, a kind of indebtedness to that person to share it with them. It's an obligation, but it's much richer than, and it's much freer than how we often think about it in terms of tit for tat, I'll give you something, you give me something. That's, I think that's kind of the, the flavour of the obligation that Paul's under. And that, that's a dynamic... It seems to me that of what's going on here in chapter 13. When it comes to your relationship with the governing authorities, pay your debts, pay your taxes, do your duty, do it, do it freely and gladly because you belong to God's eternal kingdom. But when it comes to the body of the church, there's something much, much deeper going on, much more wonderful. Uh, it's possible and good to be free of debt in other areas to say... I've sort of discharged my obligation. I don't owe you anything now. We'll kind of put a line through that. It's possible to do that. It's right to do that. Um, but in God's family, there is one thing that you can never say that about. 
You can never say that about. There's a continuing debt, Paul says, of love that we never are able to say, I've done my duty, I've discharged it, put a line through that and see you later. <laughs> uh, you can never tick off that you've paid out all your love. I've done my five good deeds today, you know, so I can kind of mark that off and move on. Our debt of love to one another is unpayable. But it's unpayable. It's not unpayable in the kind of crushing $2 million phone bill kind of a way. (laughs) It's not unpayable in that sense. We're not under a debt because we're trying to pay our way and feverishly getting God's good books or... It's unpayable because of the nature of God's own eternal and unstoppable and never-ending love. Uh, The love of God that it is, is itself at the heart of the gospel and is at the heart of all our relationships. Uh, See, this love that Paul talks about here, it ultimately comes from God himself. It's a love that comes from God. That's why... That's why it's a continuing and never-ending debt that God's people have towards each other because God's love is continuing and never-ending. Back in chapter 5, I mean, the love of God has been hammered home again through Romans. God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who he has given us. God demonstrates his love for us in this that while we were still sinners, when we didn't deserve it, Christ died for us. And of course, there's the magnificent chapter 8. Nothing in all creation. Nothing in all creation. Height, powers, death, life, nothing in the whole creation can ever separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is God's own love that creates and energises and sustains this new community of the church, this body of Christ. And so Paul says we have this never-ending obligation to each other, this continuing debt, uh, to show that our relationships in the church aren't... uh, It's never-ending because our relationships aren't the same as relationships in other areas. Give and take, right? You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. And once we've kind of we've reached equity, then we can say goodbye. Now, this is a totally different way of relating, shaped not by obligation, but by grace, not by a limited amount of things that I must have to do, but by God's overwhelming, overflowing grace. That's why it's a continuing debt, a sense of connection and relationship that can never be kind of paid out because it's grounded in God's own eternal and free love. So it's just like the obligation Paul feels, I think, when he feels obligated to preach the gospel, the obligation, the free and joyful obligation of a man who has been given a a free cure. Uh, The obligation here is of a people who have been infinitely loved who can never be separated from God's own self-sacrificing love and who live in that same self-sacrificing love with each other and for the world. Well, friends, Paul fills this, all of this out in the next few verses. 
I've focused in on that first part. We'll, we won't spend as much time going through the rest. Uh, but Paul does feel this out in verses 9 and 10. He's talked about, he's talked in the, we, we've just seen he's talked about civil laws, right, the governing authorities over us. But there's another law, there's another code that God's people have been living under before Jesus, the Old Testament law. Um, and Paul goes on to talk about that in verse 8, or uh, from verse 8, he says, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another, for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbour as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbour. Therefore, love is the fulfilment of the law. There's lots going on there, and like I said, we won't have time to spend lots of detail on all of it. There's lots of uh, continuing... Um, discussion and debate and disagreement over, particularly over the place of the Old Testament law uh, and how it relates to Christians, this side of Jesus. Um, I, I, I just want to suggest two extremes to be careful of when you're thinking about that particular kind of relationship. One extreme is to say that, coming from this passage, that all that matters is love. All that matters is love, and we can forget about all of the Old Testament, all the laws that God gave. Just forget about, in fact, forget about any kind of law that's against the gospel and it's all about just a nice feeling of love for one another. Just act in a loving way and everything will be good. Uh, that position, and it's relatively common, for, not, not, not uncommon to hear that sort of position, uh, it fails to see how blind we are, actually, and how hard it is for us to know what the loving thing to do is. We're blinded not only by our limitation as creatures, we're blinded by our continuing sinfulness. Uh, God's law shows us that right and wrong are real, uh, that there is a moral structure to this world that can't be changed. If we let go of that, if we think just be guided by love, we'll end up deceiving ourselves into doing things that we feel are loving but are actually tainted by our own self-interest or sin that are actually against God's good design. It's possible to convince yourself that adultery is, in the end, the most loving thing to do because my marriage isn't happy anyway and everyone will be just be happier if we go ahead. At that moment, you need God's law that says, do not commit adultery. Uh, it's the same with murder. Uh, we can convince ourselves that taking the life of an innocent person uh, who we think we consider to be a drain on society, uh, we can convince ourselves that that's actually the loving thing to do. Um, an unborn baby, a disabled or elderly person, we can, as societies, we can convince ourselves of these things. That loving, uh, but, and, and it's when you start to think like that that you need God's law that says, you shall not murder. You shall not murder. Love fulfills the law. It doesn't mean that we ignore the law. It doesn't mean that we ignore what it says. The law directs our love. 
It guards our love from our own sin and self-deception. So that's one kind of extreme that says, you know, along with the Beatles, all you need is love, right? Love is all you need. Uh, On the other hand, there's a kind of other extreme which shows itself in a really intense focus on the Old Testament laws, Uh, particularly, yeah, on the Old Testament law. Uh, um, This other extreme that we cannot realise, and I think if we hold this other extreme, uh, we cannot realise how much of a difference Jesus makes, how much of a difference Jesus makes to all of this. We can have a view of the Christian life, uh, and maybe you've experienced this, you can have a view of the Christian life that's always about defining the boundaries. It's always about defining the boundaries and forgets about what's at the centre. Jesus talks about this when he talks to the Pharisees and says, you're always defining the boundaries, measuring out your tithes, uh, but... You've forgotten the weightier matters of the law, the more important things. Uh, It's possible for us to have that kind of attitude to the Old Testament laws. Paul shows us here what the centre is, what the Old Testament law always pointed towards. Um, We read earlier in Romans that Christ is the end of the law. He is the the fulfilment of the law. And we know from Romans 5 that Christians are those who are united to Christ, connected to him by faith, shaped by his cross and resurrection. Living in Christ means living in God's self-giving love, having that love overflow in us and to the people around us. And that's so much richer than um, simply having a kind of life that's um, essentially defined by the boundaries. Uh, It's an important thing here, I think, in helping us to think through all this stuff. That last verse that we saw the kids talk on, love does no harm to a neighbour. Therefore, love is the fulfilment of the law. Love does no harm to the neighbour. Therefore, love is the fulfilment of the law. Uh, And you get this in other places in Paul. The Old Testament law was there, was in place to stop Israel uh, to, to, restrict its, uh, to restrict harm, to stop Israel's sin from having full sway among them. It did define the boundaries. Uh, some of those boundaries were specific to them as a nation. Uh, they had a p- particular kind of makeup as a theocracy before Jesus came, so a lot of the laws are particular to that. But as a whole, the law showed these moral realities that stood under God's creation and that restrained God's people from their sin. And Paul is saying here in that last verse, love does that. Love does not do do harm to a neighbour. It does what the law was there for. But of course love does much more. Love isn't less than the law, it's more. It shows the centre, the heart of what God desires for his people. Well, friends, there's more. <laughs> there's uh, skimming the surface on a lot of these things. Uh, the Old Testament law is there to show Israel its sin, to stop it as a nation from feeling the full effects of its sin. Uh, but in another letter, the letter to the Galatians, Paul describes the law as being like a guardian that kind of brought Israel along to Christ. It pointed them to Christ, the goal, the end of the law. 
And so while the Old Testament law still shows us these moral realities in the world around us, it can't give us new hearts, the kind of new hearts that we need to live lives of love like what's described here. Only Christ does that. Christ brings us into the heart of God. He brings us to love as the law's true fulfilment. Uh, Paul's already written in chapter 8, what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did in sending his own son to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. The righteous requirement of the law is met and surpassed in lives of gospel-shaped love. More to say there, what that love looks like, you can go to other places like 1 Corinthians 13 for a great description of that. But friends, how are we as a church family to kind of process all this, to live this out? Um, not only the, the things that Paul says about the Old Testament law, but in the bigger picture, this idea of our ongoing obligation to one another, a joyful and cheerful and overflowing obligation to love one another. One way, uh, it seems to me, is to, is to be wary of a kind of checklist mentality to our relationships. And I, I know uh, for many of us, this can creep in very easily. Uh, I've kind of done my duty, and now I've paid off my debts. Um, in Christ, we never pay off our debts. We are always unworthy. And recognising that is the most liberating thing, because it means that we are always here, as we said before, we're always here by grace alone not because we deserve it. So pay your other debts off, but the body of Christ, the church, is a totally new way of relating. We mustn't relate in a kind of business transaction sort of a way. I'm happy to put in so long as I'm getting good output, uh, doing what's expected but no more. If we find ourselves thinking that way... Um, Perhaps you do find yourself thinking that way. We're all prone to. How do you move from it? How do you move from a kind of duty mentality to a delight mentality, from duty to delight in loving each other in, in God's family, the church? Uh, we need to pray that God will soften our hearts for that. Uh, but we need to remember the reality that we've been talking about that sits under our love for one another. Uh, God's the reality we, we mentioned earlier, God's own unfailing, never-ending love for you. Uh, that's what will keep our love from uh, being a business-like sort of transaction. That's what will keep our love warm and generous and open and joyful. God's own love for us. Keep soaking yourself in God's love. That's what Paul has done in this letter to the Romans. That's why he only calls us to love each other after 11 chapters that have told us about God's love for us. Um, and that's, uh, uh, but we do need to pray that God will help us to do that. Let's pray together. Our Father, thank you for this word from Paul's letter to the Romans. Thank you for the way uh, in which there's such riches in your word. Uh, Father, thank you for bringing us into your kingdom, your family, the church, this body of Christ, uh, for giving us this new and never-ending and joyful 
debt to love one another. Uh, Father, we know that that's only so because you have loved us so richly. Father, keep us from straying from your love. Uh, keep us, Lord, we pray, always reminding ourselves, being reminded in, in this community uh, of the great and wonderful news of the gospel. And we do pray that that will fire our love together. We, we commit our church family to you, Father. We pray that increasingly more and more uh, that the great love that's already evident will continue and go on. Uh, and we pray that that will be a wonderful witness to the world around us of the difference the gospel makes in our lives. And we pray that for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.